Welcome to this week's episode of In an Hour from Tower Podcast, the podcast that brings you the people of CSS and their stories. We're here to talk about Scholastica life, and this week we welcome a relative long-timer here at CSS, our director of TRIO McNair Scholars Program, Troy Abfather. Oh, no, I said that wrong. You say it. You say it better than I will. <laughs> hey, 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 everyone. This is Troy Abfalter here checking <laughs> in, and I am ready to rock. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you here today and um, excited to, to dig in. And as we do with all of our podcasts, Troy, um, let's start just by talking about your path to CSS. Um, you know, let's go way back to, uh, to, to coming here as a student. You're an alum. Um, so take us to your journey. What brings us to this moment in time today? Yeah, definitely, Nate, uh, and, and I'll get there. But first things first, I just want to give a shout-out to you and say thank you for inviting me to this podcast, and thank you for doing this because uh, here we are, Season 1, Episode 5, and I've had the opportunity to listen to the first couple podcasts, and I, I've learned something very interesting and compelling about each of the folks that you've talked to so far, and these are folks that are you know relative long-timers like myself and then some uber long timers <laughs> such as uh, Dana Moore and, and Ollie Meyer and I learned something about them uh, in each podcast and I've since followed up with them and had a conversation and so yeah. I think there's a real brilliance in what you're doing not only having these conversations uh, with folks but having this podcast so that other people can hear so I just wanted yeah. to say thank you for that. <laughs> well I love uh, it. It's, it's a pleasure for me to do them so that's nice of you. Yeah. Second point before I get to your first question. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is this is very important. So first, appreciation of the host. Second, equally important. I want to give a shout out to two important people out there. So yeah. so Neva, age eight, <laughs> Maven, age five. These are my two wild children, and Neva and Maven are huge podcast aficionados. And so when they heard that uh, their dad, me, was going to be on a podcast, they. They became super excited. Uh, my five-year-old Maven told her kindergartner, kindergarten teacher, quote, my dad is going to be on the teeter-totter podcast <laughs> at St. Scholastica. I said, hour from tower, same idea. Close. Close. You know, you got, you got it. And so they're very excited. So shout out to, to my number one fan fans from your number one fans. So shout out to Neva and Maven. Uh, I wanted to get that in early because I feel that they will soon... Uh, assess this podcast as one of those quote-unquote adults just talking about things <laughs> yeah. podcasts and they may tune out when there's no unicorns dragons uh those types of things so shout out to neva and maven all right <laughs> check check those two things off the list well and neva maven so here's something else if your podcast aficionados I need you to let us know how we're doing. So, you know, other than saying your name wrong, dad's name wrong, um, you know, any grades you want to send me, I'm happy to take critiques. And um, I'm down for unicorn talk. Maybe we'll do a podcast just on unicorns sometime, Troy. We'll have you back and we'll just talk unicorns for an hour. Definitely. Well, I have some dad jokes up my sleeve. Maybe we'll get to those. Uh, but let me, I digress. Let me get your actual question. Sure. So, uh, you know, how, how did we get here um, sitting at the College of St. Scholastica? I'm going to cover 41 years of history. Very broad strokes. Uh, I'm sure even the most diehard number one fans out there don't want to listen to my life story uh, in that much detail to go through each year point by point. But so I, I, I was born in St. Cloud, Minnesota, on the banks of the Mississippi River. Grew up in Sock Rapids, Minnesota, which is just on the other side of the Mississippi River, and had the amazing um, privilege and opportunity to be born into an amazing family. Uh, I, I didn't have any choice or say in that. I just had had the blessing of being born into an amazing family, uh, amazing parents, my mom and dad, 
poured everything into me, everything that I've done and everything I've become, I owe to them. I have amazing uh, older sister, Lisa, older brother, Eric, and uh, just really fortunate to have a great, great, um, great family growing up. And one thing that I did a lot when I was growing up was be outside. Uh, I was outside all the time. I liked to climb up in the tree and sit there for hours. I liked to get on my bike and bike around and have that freedom. Uh, we would go camping all the time. And one of the places we'd come camping that was my favorite was Jay Cook State Park, uh, just, just down the road here from Duluth. Uh, and so early on, I really connected to the, the land the outdoor space of Duluth. It's, it's very different from the rest of Minnesota. So for folks that aren't super familiar with Minnesota, you get up here in the northeast part of the state and the topography changes, the, the forests change, there's so much more rock and you have you know the largest uh, and greatest lake in the world, in my opinion, right outside your door. So yeah. had this real love of Duluth and you know fast forward through the years, junior in high school, I was at uh, St. Cloud Cathedral High School and I was checking out different colleges. Uh, I was a first-generation college, uh, was going to be a first-generation college student, checking out different colleges. And I had, um, I was being recruited by schools all across the country based on uh, academics, but really there were two, two schools on my list, right? And so, and I, and so uh, I really wanted to go somewhere that was very outdoor-oriented. Like I really wanted to go to an outdoor adventure hub. I wasn't yet ready to go out state, so, well, all right, I'm going to Duluth. There are two colleges in Duluth, a university and a college. And we came up and visited. We started at uh, our neighbor institution down the road. I was going to a campus visit day, got on campus, uh, walked, walked in, walked around for like 10, 15 minutes, couldn't find uh, where I was supposed to be, uh, couldn't really find um, anybody to help me figure out where I was supposed to be. So 15 minutes later, it's out the door. All right, that school's off my list. Down to one school here. Hopefully this one works out. Uh, drove up College Street from our neighbor institution. And Sister Lisa in episode four talks about coming up College Street and you just see the, the panorama as you come around this corner and Cresta Hill and, and Tower Hall and all its grandeur, which is where we are uh, here today um, recording this podcast. So fell in love with, with, with just the grandeur of, of the place and really enjoyed the community I experienced when I was here. I just felt really connected. Uh, I was also being recruited by the, the cross-country uh, coach at the time, Steve Finkston. Right off the bat, met um, this awesome runner, Annie Prevost, who was at the time like the, the fastest runner in CSS history, but was just like, hey, you know, it's super low-key. Troy, hey, come on over. You know, like just super um, welcoming and accepting. And so... You know, my list was down to one. The only school I applied to was St. Scholastica. Um, got in, was afforded a generous financial aid package, which made it possible for, for me and my family. Uh, and so then did those four years. There's lots of stories there. Maybe we'll visit those later, maybe not. Yeah. Finished up here, did a year in uh, AmeriCorps, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, along, those, along the way, I'd met this amazing young woman uh, who I was dating, Janine O'Brien, who I'm now married to, who is the parents, the other parent of Neva and Maven. Yeah. And, and so we were then both going to graduate school, trying to figure out where we wanted to go. All right, where can we go that has a graduate program that's you know, high caliber and that we're really interested in that's in a really cool outdoors place? Ended up in Denver. I did my master's there. And Janine did her uh, PhD and her postdoc. 
uh, I spent a ton of time in the mountains skiing, uh, mountain biking, but really doing a lot of skiing, which is my number one thing, other than hanging out with my kids. And uh, so then uh, I also got a job at the Community College of Denver, didn't really know what I was getting into. And then I was higher ed, um, first generation professional, just like a first generation student, just kind of found my way, had some awesome mentors, uh, Nathan Cadena and Dr. Ryan Ross. Ten years later, we get to this another inflection point where, okay, Janine's done. She's looking for a, a college professor position, looking around. All right, so once again, let's look at where are their college towns and awesome outdoor adventure hubs. So we're looking at places like Durango, Colorado, Bend, Oregon, Bellingham, Washington, Missoula, Montana, Bozeman, Montana, Duluth, Minnesota, Burlington, Vermont. And that was all right. <laughs> She got a job at uh, University of Wisconsin-Superior. She's now here at St. Scholastica, Janine is. Mm -hmm. And so I followed her here and uh, found a job here then at St. Scholastica. It wasn't, I wasn't planning to apply to St. Scholastica for a job when I came back. Okay. I felt a little bit like, you know, uh, that feels a little too comfortable. You know, I'm really on this like ambitious, aspirational track in my career, like just going back to a place that's really awesome and comfortable. It didn't really seem like aspirational or ambitious but this McNair position opened up it was a move into a new part of the trio pathway that I hadn't been a part of which was interesting and then close the deal was that it was uh, posted as an 11 month position uh, which meant I had a month additional month off to play outside so I applied got the job and uh, well seven years later here we are yeah the rest is history you know there's so much there that we're gonna unpack I think throughout the course of the hour that we're together today but you know you, you talk about this you know finding places where you can be outdoors you're a cross-country runner um, again you know I, I, I best part about running for me is stopping um, but my <laughs> kids were cross-country runners and you know I think there's a connection to beauty in nature when you're running those cross-country trails. Um, you, as I get to know you more, this really strong, intentional connection to um, to nature and the outdoors. Um, talk to about how, how that influenced you with your unofficial clubs that you did on campus, the Tree Climbers Club and the Extreme Sledders <laughs> Club, both groups by which I wish we still had because I probably would join both. Those are awesome. Talk to me about that. But talk to me about how nature has influenced you as a person. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, Nate. And and in my research dossier here on Nate, I do have that you ran at least one half marathon, if not two, in 2008. So I did, So yeah. you have a history yeah, of running. Yeah, I do. That, that enforced my best part about running stopping. Thing. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have always found the deepest sense of belonging and contentment and energy and vitality when I am outside. Yeah. When I am, again, sitting in a tree... Uh, swimming in the lake, mm -hmm. hiking on a trail, getting lost. Uh, and my all-time favorite is winter. Uh, if you can find someone that likes winter more than I do, I would love to meet them because we'll get along great. <laughs> and so when I was a student here, uh, you know, I was, I was doing the serious student thing. I did, did well here academically. I did pretty well um, in terms of cross-country running and I really loved, though, hanging out with the community of friends that I had. Most of these were cross-country runners. And so I feel safe in saying this, that most people that are that run cross-country, they're, they're um, 
I don't know, they're kind of wired a little different. <laughs> uh, they're kind of strange and quirky and fun. You know, I met my wife on the cross country team and, and just, I, I don't know what to explain that, but so this was the, the friend group that I hung out with. And yeah, so the Tree Climbers Club was essentially, you know, we'd climb trees. That's, I guess, the theme here. <laughs> um, but we would really explore and, and climb on, on all things. And so we would find our way um, into different parts of campus, both in the outdoor space and the built space and, and kind of climb on things. And uh, I mean, there's a long time ago, so I don't exactly remember the details. It may just be myth, but there's rumors of people like getting on all sorts of like tops of roofs and <laughs> rappelling off of Tower Hall. I don't know. Um, that, that, that may just be a legend. I'm not sure. Extreme Sledders Guild. So the Extreme Sledders Guild started up with my, my actually when I was in high school with my good friend Mike Kiddock. Brought it here. He was my first year roommate, also on the cross country team here at St. Scholastica. And uh, you know, extreme sledding, uh, to me, that's sort of the um, more financially accessible uh, route into the realm of, of going down snow-covered slopes quickly yeah. and going yeah. through trees and off jumps, right? It's yeah. a, a sled is a lot less expensive than a pair of downhill skis. Yeah, right. You don't have to uh, pay resort fees unless you're, you know, tubing or something, but... And so we would go all around campus. We'd go over to, to Bagley, which is just across the way between here and the other uh, school in town, four-year school in town. And we would sled race late at night. We'd get eight, nine, ten people. There was this place where the Superior Hiking Trail makes about three S-curves going down the hill. And you'd you know, sled race. You line up at the top. First one down wins. Yeah. The carnage. So I'm, picture, I'm picturing like uh, Clark Griswold on his silver saucer <laughs> in uh, Christmas vacation. Is that what it was like? There, there were modifications, definitely. There were sled <laughs> modifications. Different people had different styles. I mean, uh, you know, I could talk about for days about this, but there's, you know, the classic torpedo known still around. It's a, it's a very fast sled, um, but it, but it's not super maneuverable. I, I, I modified my. Um, my sled where I could like strap myself in and so I could like go on my knees and you get more push with your hands and but yeah inevitably there would be people you know with uh saucer sleds and there were, yeah a lot of carnage and this was with my cross-country buddy so that you're like running down the hill someone tackles someone else so then you get an avenue to kind of shoot into the lead um there were never no major injuries there there were a couple other sledding injuries uh, crazy that uh, like two Two of my friends, unfortunately, broke their backs sledding, but oh they're both okay now. Um, so, yeah, that was so, so fun. I love to sled now still with my kids. Uh, you know, now that I have a little more means, I, I more so really like to ski, but Extreme Sledders Guild, I mean, we had the logo, we had the shirts, you know, I just love to build... I, should, I feel like I should be building brands and those types of things because I, I love to take an experience and, and just build stories and branding around it and just get people excited to participate and do write-ups about what we're doing and do videos and all these things. It was it was like an early Duluth X Games, maybe. I mean, mm -hmm. are you into like all of the Sean White snowboarding and halfpipe and all that kind of stuff? Now, does that do you get into that? Yeah, I, I do not have that skill set. Uh, of free like um, park skiing and park riding, uh, I love it. You know, I, I love. Uh, I've been to the X Games in person when I was in Colorado. Uh, I really like. Those are my favorite uh, winter Olympic sports events. What I really love is like big mountain skiing, and so they they'll make these amazing 
you know, vi like um, movies with just amazing cinematography and and just tell these really interesting stories. And then, of course, you just have these like amazing skiers doing all this crazy stuff mm -hmm. in the big mountains of Alaska, jumping onto helicopters and <laughs> all these things that you'd see at like the Banff um, Mountain Film Festival. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for for watching for watching those films, um, but also, yeah, I do enjoy watching the, the park skiing and riding in the Olympics and the X Games. So I love about these podcasts because, again, right, when you, and I'm, you know, again, as I've explained in these podcasts, being relatively new to the institution, you know, you meet people and, you know, you, you try to get a sense for, again, where are common interests and things, and I wouldn't, I, 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 you don't strike me as being a thrill seeker, um, <laughs> but certainly an explorer. And mm -hmm. again, this goes, I think, to, you know, again, your interest and in what you're involved in and just getting to know you and your academic interest. But you've taken a lot of trips around the U.S. talking about exploring. That's something mm -hmm. that you and, uh, and your now wife had done, but you did that a lot in college. Where are some of the favorite places you've traveled to in the U.S.? It's a great question. Most recently, uh, we took the family out this past summer out east, which is not the direction we normally go. We drove through Canada, now that the borders are open again post-COVID post or whatever we're in right now, and went to upstate New York, the Adirondack Mountains, came down into Vermont, the Green Mountains, and then over to, um, the, to New Hampshire and the White Mountains and the Presidential Range. And so that was very... Uh, eye-opening in the sense that I had always had this idea of the Appalachian Mountains and I've been to the Appalachian Appalachian Mountains in like Tennessee and North Carolina and they're nice but they're not as epic I would say and rocky and craggy and, and vertiginous as you know out west uh, out west United States or Alaska but yeah. so that was really beautiful and the lakes and the greenery and the deciduous trees that was really nice uh, it's hard to beat Alaska in my mind for um, U.S. Uh, scenery between, you know, just where the mountains meet the oceans and there's these massive peaks, um, glaciers coming down into the oceans, calving off icebergs, and yeah. that that's amazing. And and Alaska also has, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a wet place, so there's also a lot of greenery, a lot of forests, whereas a lot of the, um, like, Rocky Mountain West is fairly dry, which is nice. Yeah. You know, you don't have yeah. mosquitoes, for example, but... <laughs> Um, I really like a lot of, I really like green places, yeah. which is part of why I like Duluth a lot. Yeah. And uh, Alaska would be my, my number one. And there, it's a huge state, obviously, but yeah, yeah. there's some really cool stuff. Um, yeah. Kenai Peninsula, over up to Denali, over to the Wrangell, Wrangell St. Elias yeah. National Park. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I want to shift gears back a bit to your work, because you mentioned a couple of different groups that I don't know if everybody really knows what they do, AmeriCorps mm -hmm. and trio so talk a little bit about both of those organizations what they do and you know how that's landed you again in this role of of helping students be successful right americorps uh this was you know this was 20 years ago so i don't remember the exact details of the origin story of americorps and everything but essentially you commit to a year or up to two years of service it's the the domestic version of the peace corps and different organizations around the country apply to essentially um, host uh, these AmeriCorps workers. And while you're doing this, it's a year of service, it's volunteer work, you do get uh, an educational stipend at the end that you can use to either pay for an educational expense or pay down um, student debt. At least that's how it was back in the day. And that was how I had my first full-time gig in education. I had 
finished my senior year, I had spent my summers working with the TRIO Upward Bound Math and Science program here on campus, which mm -hmm. was my first taste of, of TRIO and, and education. Uh, but AmeriCorps gave me this opportunity to, to work in service learning in the public schools in Duluth for a year. And so it was a place where I could get that experience on my resume, do some exploring, you know, start to connect. It was my first you know, professional conference I went to. We went to um, Long Beach, California for a service learning conference. So that was very formative for me. And then TRIO is a, a body of federally funded programs whose goal is to increase educational access and success for first-generation students, students from low-income backgrounds, and, uh, and then in the case of McNair, um, students from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. And the whole idea of TRIO, it came out of the civil rights movement in the, in the 1960s, and so it is all about, again, building those pathways from middle school all the way to graduate school so that people that have amazing talents, amazing skills, uh, amazing strengths, but just haven't had the exposure or just don't have access to the resources, they have a pathway, uh, if they should choose, to, to go to college. And I've always found it equally beneficial to both the students coming into TRIO and you know, having these supports to be successful, but also for the institution to have students coming in with these different ideas, different experiences, different backgrounds that um, really contributes to the learning environment. And in my experience, first-gen students bring in so many different strengths, like resourcefulness, um, you know, I don't really like the word grit, but you know, like determination, mm -hmm. often having just amazing family supports, mm -hmm. right, and, and having a lot of pride in, 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 in being first, you know, a first-generation student and, and changing the stars for, for themselves and, and their future generations and their communities. And so it's always been, in, for me, an incredibly uh, powerful community to be a part of. I've worked with pre-collegiate uh, TRIO students in Upward Bound. I've worked at a community college with TRIO students in Student Support Services. And then now here at, at St. Scholastica, I've worked with undergraduate students who are going on to graduate school who are, are TRIO students. And yeah. it's, been a very, it's been a very meaningful and uh, impactful and, and a great learning experience for me to have so much opportunity to spend time with these amazing students. Yeah, and as a first-generation college student yourself, to begin to pass it forward, I mean, I always feel that same way, too, being a first-gen you know, college student myself too, like, you know, this has really become my life's work is to, to pay it forward, all those great mentors and teachers, and you certainly are one for those students that intersect with you for sure. I think another thing that, you know, makes you such a, I think, a great person and a great employee is, you know, your, your educational background, you know, it's rooted deeply in the liberal arts. So, you know, studying history, religious studies, English, you know, a humanities degree, these are majors and programs. I think nowadays society are like, well, what do you do with that, right? Or you can teach or be unemployed, which really isn't the case. Talk about the impact of the liberal arts on you and what, how the liberal arts degree, that humanities degree, has made you the curious, intellectual um, you, you know, person that you are today. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I was not a humanities divisional major until my third year third week of senior year of college. Before that, I was in the sciences. Yeah. I was in 
Um, I came in being pre-med, I, I tried out physical therapy, I spent a fair amount of time in, in physiology, exercise physiology, um, and so I was in the sciences, it was great, you know, there's I think clearer and more straightforward career paths, at least in terms of like healthcare sciences and those types of things, which is how I ended up in those fields in the first place, those majors, but I got to a point where the, the black and white world of science, and that's an overstatement, but just generally this sort of, you know, the black and white world of, of science and scientific method was, you know, true and false, ABCD, it just wasn't um, really enlivening to me, and I'm, I'm much, much more drawn to this world of more interpretive gray world of trying to understand people, and so I think the humanities is a great avenue into understanding people, right? It's, it's like psychology is one way to understand people, biology is one way to understand people, and, and the humanities, religion, literature, music, the arts, you know, performing arts, this is another way to understand people and what motivates people and, and what people find meaning in, and that's all very interesting to me. So I did that. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to go to graduate school for. I was literally looking at forestry programs, creative writing programs. <laughs> I was looking at maybe continuing on, going back to exercise physiology. Mm. I ended up going on to international studies uh, at the University of Denver, a master's program. And so jumping over to the social sciences, which I actually hadn't had as much time in. I'd been in the humanities and the health and biology, biological sciences, but not so much the social sciences. Yeah. But having that liberal arts background, I was able to make that jump. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, that was, um, this was 2006, 2007. So th at the time, it was very much on top of my mind anyways. And in terms of current events, it was um, like the role of religion in, in politics yeah. and, and in particular conflict in the Middle East. This is, yeah. you know, uh, religious inspired. My thesis for that project was on religious inspired terrorism and, and all these things. And so that was very interesting. I got through it. It was a very academically rigorous program. Yeah. I learned a ton of social science research methodology and social science theory getting into Hegel and Marx and all these things, and so it stretched me that way. And I, I got to the end, and I was planning on getting a PhD because first-gen college student, okay, I had, a, I had a brother and sister I went to college, so I kind of knew what I was doing there. Yeah. Like, all right, first-gen college student in graduate school, uh, I, I'm the, I am literally the first one in my family to go to graduate school. Like, yeah. I don't really know yeah. what this is about. Yeah. Uh, I like working and I like learning, so I'm going to become a professor or something. I think they have PhDs, I'm going to get a PhD. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, now, now that I'm in McNair and know this world, I'm, I think back of all the things I had no idea about and, yeah. and didn't probably have a PhD was never a good fit for me because I'm such a I have such a, a wide breadth of interests and more of a research practitioner than taking a, a deep deep dive into a, a more narrow focus. Sure. So I went through, did that, um, worked for a while, and then 15 years after that, came back for this the MBA in Leadership and Change program at, at Scholastica. So another another change in pace, uh, changing gears, and d did that over you know the past three years. I just finished this September again in an entirely different field and so I think so back to your original question the liberal arts which I feel like we need a rebrand a different name right. or something <laughs> right. for a lot of reasons yeah. but really it's about learning how to learn learning how to learn broadly learning how to connect the dots and and to synthesize information to make sense of things and then do something with it 
Uh, and so that's carried me through these, these various degrees and I, I lean on that, those, those abilities that I've, that I've learned through this breadth of study. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really lean on that every day. Yeah. Yeah, as we, feel, as we record this too, those of you that are listening in, you're not hearing static or the place isn't burning <laughs> down here. It is raining like crazy as we record this. So if you're hearing that in the background, we are, we are under the, the, uh, the shelter of Tower <laughs> Hall, but it is pouring hard outside. You, you mentioned the MBA in, in leadership and change. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in and just you know, kind of learning more and hearing more about your story is you talk about leadership in terms of in the leadership you provide students, uh, the difference between providing advice and inspiration. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about that. I think that's really interesting and I think really true to your approach to it. Talk, talk about that. Right. I'm very hesitant to give advice. When people ask for advice, I say, well, I, I don't know what you should do. I can share my experience. I can share what I've done. But at the end of the day, right, I have this, my experience anyways, is that I'm experiencing reality in my way and making sense of things. I'm in this unique constellation of experiences and identities and interests and passions. And no one knows that better than than I do, even if I don't always know myself perfectly well, right? And so for me, it's more about um, when working with a student, maybe they're working through a decision, it's more about uh, like that coaching approach. Um, facilitating their process of discovery and when I'm then looking for well okay then how am I supposed to find my way if you're not gonna give me advice then I say well look look to look to people that are doing things that that inspire you that that you say I could see myself doing that this is how I learn all the time I find people that are really good at doing something and I, I watch them and I learn from them and I maybe ask them about their experience and why they do different things and then I, I take that and I make it my own. And so that's been my approach that I've taken for myself, um, working with students, working with, with my colleagues. And at the end of the day, in my mind, we're all, we're all leading together. Mm-hmm we're leading together towards some some shared shared goal here at a college mm-hmm. so students mm-hmm. faculty staff administrators community partners we're all leading together we all have a role to play in terms of a space where we can step up and we can contribute we can step into our power and, and, and own our impact to move us forward toward this this vision which for us at Scholastica is this mission right this mission that we have to um, educate students and and to be gone and you know serve the world and these types of things and so we all have a role to play in that and so I really try to um, to deconstruct this sort of hierarchical I know what to do and you don't and I'm gonna tell you it's like we're all figuring this out together we all we all um, have to somewhat find our own way, but we can work together and collaborate together and, and do that in a shared way. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that vision. And, you know, what I, again, what I, as I learn more about you, Troy, you know, your desire to, to hone in on those leadership skills and, you know, think about it in terms of your own leadership, help others find their own leadership style, getting plugged into leadership Duluth on a broader scale. I think good leaders always are hungry to, 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 they're observers of leadership. They, they, they are constantly questioning their own leadership and how to evolve because leadership has changed even the time that I've been in leadership roles, you know, the last mm-hmm. 15 plus mm-hmm. years. Um, you know, who you're leading change and different. There's you know, all of that. It's yeah. just really interesting and fantastic. So I, mean, I know you've really liked to, mm-hmm. you, you've loved the ability to kind of, of hone that in on, on yourself. So yeah. 
Yeah, I, I want to, you know, again, if, if we haven't lost Neva and, and Maven already, <laughs> right, I want to bring it back to maybe some fun topics here. But I, what I love about these opportunities to get to know my colleagues and, and, and now friends more is just how much similarities <laughs> I, I, I have with, with everybody that I've talked to. Mm-hmm. And you, there's two of them. Holiday yard decorations. Mm. I mm. fashion myself as Uh-oh. an expert in exterior illumination, Uh-oh. especially around Uh-oh. this time of year. But I have a feeling you may put me to shame. <laughs> so talk to me about: Do you do it for all holidays, or what oh. is this? What, what is this? What is this all about? Can of worms here. <laughs> this is about. I talked earlier about how I love to curate an experience, build a brand, tell a story. I, I live in this reality of creative nonfiction. It's all true, but the details, you know, it's like Iron Will. It's based loosely on a true story. It's all true, but yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. is creative nonfiction. Yeah. So I, all right, I'm just gonna tell the origin story. Well, there's two origins of story of Deneenville. There's the factual origin story of Deneenville, and then there's a, another origin story of you Deneenville. Deneenville? Deneenville. So, all right, so all right. I, live, I live on Deneenville Avenue. Okay. Uh, and I have a great crew of neighbors who are, who are up for things. And so in 2020, this is at the height of the pandemic when we weren't even, you know, I hadn't been in someone else's house for six months and wasn't going to be in someone else's house for another 12 months or so. Mm-hmm. There is this event in Duluth called Bentleyville. So if you're not from Duluth, Bentleyville, it's the North America's largest free walk-through light display, something like that. It's really cool. You walk through it. It's down um, on the edge of Canal Park. Uh, you, there's fire pits. You roast marshmallows. You hang out. There's you know, Santa Claus, of course, and tons of lights and music and all these things and Mm -hmm. it's awesome Mm -hmm. well in 2020 there was no walk through Deneenville there was only a drive-through option and in 2020 at least in my experience we were living you know by and as much as I love my family we were just living just the four of us in our house at this point for eight nine months together Mm -hmm. and you know so we really wanted to, to connect with people we wanted to get outside and so I channeled one of my alter egos which is um um, Brinklebaum, so this is a character from The Grinch, <laughs> and started to to decorate. And, and so w- each year we sort of built more and more elaborate like light structures and things. We certainly don't, I mean, we don't have anywhere near the light count of, of Bentleyville, but um, it, it, again, again, it's all about curating an experience, right? And yeah. so there's different elements. So one thing, I could, again, I could talk for hours. I try not to, but you, you've hit a, a you've hit a, a nerve here. One thing, one theory. All right. So there's four Sundays of Advent. So first off, I will not turn on my Christmas lights before Advent starts. Mm-hmm. First Sunday of Advent, I turn it on. It's just the light up on the house and the Christmas tree in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Second Sunday of Advent, we turn it up, we turn up the knob a little bit. More lights come on. Third mm-hmm. Sunday of Advent, we turn the knob up to about 75 percent. Fourth Sunday of Advent, you know, it's full power, and this is when Deneenville is the the the, uh, the Sunday immediately before the winter solstice, huh. or if the winter solstice falls on a Sunday, then the winter solstice. Yeah. So anybody out there, come on over to Deneen Avenue this Sunday uh, before solstice year. Yeah. People come. This is neighbors. This is 
friends, this is family. People just come, they hang out, they walk around. My neighbors are into this, and there's this sort of like friendly, like, hey, I just, you got more lights from Amazon. Well, I better go order some more lights from Amazon. <laughs> My neighbor next to me this year has already been trash talking me. Maybe it's too strong a word, but well, I, I, she's, I'm making a homemade uh, Snoopy to sit on top of the greenhouse. I'm like, oh, nice. And, you know, so I'm like up in my game and, and all of these things. And, and, but it's just so fun. And the, it's, so I'm in this magical place. And we've done it two times so far. And both nights, you're hanging out. Friends are coming through. Family is coming through. We're standing outside by the fires. We have like the path where you walk through. There's just kids everywhere. And it just feels... Um, very magical and so yeah. that's that's Dunedinville uh, last year I, I wrote an or, the, an origin story so I wrote a children's book called Little Sweater Beard as told by Walter Abfalter who's the Dunedinville hype gnome so that was last year's big thing I, I wrote wrote and published well self-published this book um, this year I'm working with my colleague Mary Hermanson so I'm putting Mary on the spot here she's she's kind of agreed to this already so Mary and her crew her family came up with the the Bentleyville theme songs like Bentleyville. And that's Mary's group. So yeah. she's like, "Hey, um, do you need a theme song?" I'm like, "I need a theme song." So hopefully we're gonna have a theme song this year. Um, I've, I've got things going on. Um, yes. Well, I'm telling you right now, if if there is a home for sale in that neighborhood, as we look for a place to relocate, I would be all about it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's just so much fun. Is it just around? The Christmas time, or do you decorate for other um, occasions as well? Or the other, the other big one is Halloween. Okay. So Halloween, there's Witches Hollow, and so <laughs> yeah. So people this past Halloween, they just drive by, they stop, they get out of the car, they check it out. We had this. It's very like kind of opposite direction of you know because Christmas is light and love and peace on earth. You know, Halloween got a little bit of a darker edge to it. We have kind of like a little bit of a seance going around here with these built this. I don't know. And uh, so yeah, we have Witches Hollow this this winter this this fall, and it's so fun. And and uh, you know, uh, it's it's for the kids and it's for the kids. But like, let's be real. Yeah, it's not just for the kids. Like, love it. They're, they're going to be not in the house anymore. I'm still going to be doing this. Yeah, they'd love it. <laughs> That's just incredible. That's outstanding. The other thing, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to, people can't obviously see it, but right. it fits right into this next question. It's a hat with a Yeti playing a guitar <laughs> and it says Yeti to rock. So the dad jokes. Mm. Now, I fashion myself as a dad. My kids would say, too, dad joke guy. I have a dad joke champ T-shirt that yeah. they gave me for my birthday a couple years ago. Oh, so, fantastic. So what's, what's, tell, me a, tell me a good dad joke. Did you know that French fries were not made in France? They're not. They're made in Greece. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Did you, know, did you know that atheism is a nonprofit organization? Hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> did you okay did you hear about so here's the thing all right so um what makes a good dad joke yeah it's readily apparent ah nice. but see that's ironic because a good dad joke actually you have to sometimes explain to your kids why it's funny right yeah, so right, like okay right, so right. atheism it's like this thing it's like a religion but it's not a religion and yeah. so like religion has profits right so yeah. like a non-profit organization is atheism, but like there's this thing called a non-profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, not P-R-O-P-H-E. You know, so a good dad joke, you know, probably 50% of a good time you have to, you have to explain 
a good dad joke. Uh, and then I'll, en- I'll end with, with a Thanksgiving one coming up. Did you hear that the investigator was questioning the turkey? He expected foul play. Nice, nice. Love it. I, I, you know, the kids will catch me. I'll be sitting, you know, uh, uh, quietly on the couch, and I'll just start laughing. And they're like, oh, no, he's looking up dad jokes again. And I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, yes that's I am. A, another key characteristic is that you have to laugh at your own jokes. That's right. You have to. You Otherwise, have to think it's not a dad the funniest joke. thing. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's so great. Well, again, you've been on the hot seat now for almost yeah. 40 minutes. Let's turn the tables as yeah. we always do. What questions do you have for me? Yeah, so I've got, I've got my, my dossier here. Um, so... I've got a couple things. I'm going to start with some some music trivia. I know you're a big 80s music fan based on some of the, I think you're talking Prince and such with with Ollie Meyer and um, was that maybe episode two. Uh, So I have a line from an 80s, what I would consider an 80s uh, group icon. Technically, this song comes from 1991. Yeah. And and you'll see why I'm quoting this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna li- read the lyric. It's one. It's five lines of the lyric, and then okay. you can try to guess the band. Oh All right. So All here right. we go. And I won't sing it because I make it make it a little too easy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And when your fears subside and shadows still remain, I know that you can love me when there's no one left to blame. So never mind the darkness. We still can find a way because nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain. Guns and Roses. There you go. Yeah, Guns and, and Roses. Yeah. Guns and Roses. November rain. You November bet. rain. It's thirty-five degrees and I'm, raining. And so yeah, that's a, yeah. Very fitting. I'm, I'm more of an appetite for destruction guy uh-huh. than that, but that was it. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're warmed up. Yep. Um, all right, so that so for me, the '80s was back in the day. Let's go back in the day for you. That may yep. be a little bit further back. Let's okay. go back to back in the day to Wisconsin. So just. Tell me something awesome about growing up in rural Sheboygan County, Wisconsin. Huh. You know, there's a, I always say there's a simplicity to small town life. You know, we were out in the country, grew up out in the country, worked family farms and things. I think there was a simplicity about those days. You know, you rode your bike everywhere mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we, 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 did our, we did our chore work and then all the neighborhood kids together playing baseball. So one thing I miss now is... You could always tell where all of the neighborhood kids were, where all the bikes were. Right. Maybe there's still some of that in the city. Maybe we're just disconnected enough from it now with our kids being older. But um, it just doesn't seem the same way. We didn't need parents organizing events for us. There wasn't this proliferation of, of, of youth sports. Like, you know, we got together and we played wiffle ball in the backyard. You created leagues and you had your, you drew your logos and all of that. There was a lot of that that happened there. Yeah. Um, I think that was really, really special. And a lot of our family grew up around there as well. And being around family, mm-hmm. too, was just... Um, you know, a lot of family get-togethers, and you didn't really need a reason to get together. Sometimes you just got together, and you just enjoyed, you know, family time together. So that's been kind of the foundation for me. But there's, yeah, nothing better than that small-town life. We really, we really enjoyed that. And Lake Michigan was close, and that was another thing why transitioning to Duluth now, um, you can't walk 10 steps in Minnesota and not step in a lake, right? But right. there's something about a great lake. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I always, when I come over the hill on 35 in the Duluth, you see just this little tip of Lake Superior, and it looks massive just that in of itself, but it's so much larger. Mm. And you just, I don't know, for me, it's just like something, it just puts you in perspective about 
you know how how a flake half of a flake or fleck of sand you are in this you know in this broader you know place we call home so yeah 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 i love it yeah i I love this that 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 throwback to the day where you ride your bikes around you're like you leave a note on the table i'm I'm, i'll be back at for dinner and you're just out exploring and that that freedom that that's fantastic and what what's the what's the quality so this the shoreline of rural sheboygan county and is it is it wooded is it rocky is it sandy what what's the the lakefront like there sandy duny like you know the sheboygan area in particular some sand dunes it's a lot like kind of that well, the north edge of of, uh, of uh, Lake Michigan, or otherwise too, like over on the southwest side in Indiana, very sand duny, but more trees and things. It's not rocky like it is here. Um, we actually, and again, you know, you talked about living in Colorado. We have visited there numerous times and love it out there. You know, you can get up in some of these state parks here on mm-hmm. the North Shore, and mm-hmm. you would think you're in the Upper Midwest. You yeah. know, Oregon, Washington, those things. So. There is a beauty to it. You just kind of forget where you are, and but that's the beauty of being outside yeah. too. If you can really find a place and forget where you are, and you know you're just there in the moment, that makes it fun. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But lots, lots of sand dunes and sand dunes and forests. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, very cool. All right, so for this next one, I had to do a bit of a you know dig deep for some investigative journalism here. I hope this question <laughs> makes sense. I think you'll understand what I'm asking you. Sure. Uh, I'm going to say it twice because the, in the od- listening audience here, there's three things that seem disconnected, but as far as I can tell, they have something in common and they're part. The, they're something connected to your history. So okay. those three things. So what do muskies? Habitat for Humanity, and, quote, singing every word to Ice Ice Baby have in common. (laughs) Muskies, Habitat for Humanity, and singing every word to Ice Ice Baby. Connect the dots for us. Oh, my goodness. You did. I I get blamed for doing research in these things and digging up things. You've really (laughs) dug up things. Um, You know, when I – when I was at Lakeland University, well, Lakeland College, now Lakeland University in Sheboygan, I had a very similar role to what I had here as, as you know, overseeing enrollment and student affairs. And one of the things, um, well, they're the muskies. So that's their mascot is there the muskies. Go. So there's there's connection point number one, the Lakeland muskies. Very unique, uh, fierce, largest freshwater yeah. fish, right, all of that. Um when I was there, I was the advisor for the Habitat for Humanity group. So we would organize students and go on a spring break build every year. Um, so that that's connection point number two. Lakeland students going on Habitat for Humanity build. Some of my favorite memories and my favorite connections with students were on those trips. Um, I loved watching groups of students from different um, from different backgrounds and different areas nervous to talk to each other spend you know 20 hours in a vehicle driving to new orleans and then doing this work for a week and coming back and they were friends for the rest of their time um so in fact one of which lives here in duluth and i'm going to be connecting with her for lunch soon and she was one that you know again very shy and quiet her first year and just blossomed with that work of that group went on four trips with us you know over four years so that's the habitat piece and then singing every song to, to Ice Ice Baby. So at one of our orientation sessions, a student got up and was doing a horrible, like just just denigrating <laughs> vanilla ice and all the beauty that is vanilla ice, singing, trying to sing Ice Ice Baby. So I had to take matters into my own hands, went up without the words in front of me, and proceeded to help 
him out in singing it. So from then on out, we had, whenever we had karaoke night on campus, the big question was, is Nate going to show up and do Ice Ice Baby? So ah. thank goodness that YouTube and other things weren't as big I of a see. thing back then because you probably would be able to find video evidence. Yes. But, um, but yeah, Ice Ice Baby is one of my karaoke go-tos. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, the first first two I, points I understood, but you yeah. know, I'd come across this Ice Ice Baby. I think it was like a s- acceptance speech to an award you got or something, yeah. and so I didn't <laughs> yeah. didn't understand that reference. So yeah. I appreciate that. And and yeah. that's another thing uh, that we have in common is uh, singing in front of college crowds. I, yeah. I have a history there with the appreciation luncheon and Woodstock and things. But anyways, well, it's good to know. We'll have to we'll have to think of a duet sometime. I don't know, Hall yeah. and Oates or I don't know Simon yeah. and Garfunkel. I don't know. We can pick 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 the group. But. Yeah, it, yeah, it was um, Jefferson Starship. So anybody that was here in 2019 um, knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, excellent. Uh, All right, so I have one more question for you. So this one I got from a podcast called Beer with the Boys. Oh, boy. Happy Hour with with Nate Daney. And as far as I could tell, these (laughs) these boys are uh, maybe two old wrestling pals of yours Uh, or something. Wrestling students. So these are students. students. Yeah, back in the day at Lakelands. All right, wrestling students of yours. All right. And so in this podcast, which is great, it's like an hour and 20 minutes if if anyone wants to have another listen there. Uh, And and so this podcast, you were talking in 20... 20 when you're at your previous institution and, yep. and you were talking a bit about moving like moving from wisconsin mm-hmm. to minnesota mm-hmm. and one of the so this makes more sense now so it's one of these um the boys who was mm-hmm. kind of looking at you as more of like a role model like oh so what was that like yep. How, you know what was yep. your experience yep. uh about moving to a new place and yep. you said uh quote you know i take on the ethos of a new place i live it i breathe it end mm-hmm. quote mm-hmm. Uh, and so i thought it'd be appropriate here on the hour from tower here we are in tower hall you've been here about 90 days you know so in your experience where is the ethos the ambience of tower hall and how does it feel to work literally in a highlands castle overlooking lake superior hmm. what a beautiful question um you know what i love about tower hall what i love about well, this building in particular, right? You're asking about this building, and I think it dovetails into the place. I one of my favorite spots on campus, and it sounds really weird, is one of the stairwells down the hall in Tower Hall. the The steps are worn. There's there's mm. actual divots where people have stepped yep. throughout the years, I know what you're and about. Um, I love that because when I whenever I take that stairwell, I think of all of the other people that have taken that stairwell. Um, over the years they've all come from different backgrounds they've all fought their own battles they've you know done all of those things but they're they're the they're the foundation in which we stand right mm-hmm. they allow me to have a job where I'm allowed to you know do my passions and 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 help students be successful um, I think about the sisters who even made the trek up from St. Cloud you know mm-hmm. in a horse and buggy back in the day to find the place so um it's 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 an awe-inspiring building because of the history. It drips with history. Is it the most glamorous place on the planet? Absolutely not, <laughs> right? And and sometimes I think too, like you know, there are days where I wish I could wave a wand and have, or I wish I would have won the Powerball and been able to donate money back to, right. to completely redo it. But there's a beauty in its simplicity. There's a beauty in its history, and it's a reminder, I think, for me every day of how important and grand our jobs are because we're caretakers of being able to help students find their way and become their true selves and the true people they were meant to be. 
And what an awesome job. Um, what an awesome job. It's so different than other jobs I've had and other jobs my friends have, and they're all valuable to them for particular reasons. But I know what education did for me. I know what the mentors did for me. I know what the experiences I had made me, I, I think it's made me a better person and to be able to help others find that for themselves, whatever they define it as. Um, that's what I've loved about now, you know, over almost close to 30 years in this work. And I hope the rest of my days are, are helping students continue to find those passions wherever they're coming from. But I think Telwar is indicative yeah. of that, a very grand experience we're providing that is just we stand on the shoulders of all those others that have helped us get there yeah i I love that idea of how connecting not just the architecture but our experience of it to to that legacy and that mission right because to your point yes right now the wind is literally blowing through the windows we we all know that it is working super hard and you know wi-fi can be spotty we know that the hvac system the temperature could be 90 one day and 60 the other day right and 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 yet it kind of gets at this what i what often is described as like the scrappiness of of the sisters and the legacy and the moving up here and and sort of that hard scrabble um building this this building uh where basically education can flourish you know this the building of stone and so it's 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 awe-inspiring it's solid it's scrappy you know it's it's you know it's it's going to be here and mm-hmm. so i think it's really interesting to think about that in terms of how it connects to that mission and then it's also just a fun building it's just quirky (laughs) and strange and again like if you ever want a tour into places like the the (laughs) underbelly of tower hall and the dirt tunnels and you know i I know people and um (laughs) it's just such a such a cool building and and i also just love love tower hall so i love that you created podcast after tower hall yeah i it's why wouldn't you name it after the iconic building right and then of course it rhymes with our and that was cool too and yeah the name kind of predicated you know i thought our from tower and i've always wanted to do a podcast and again like i said for me it was a way just to kind of you know get to know the get to know the faces and the people here so and again learned a ton here and um, you know, I, that that's the beauty of it. And I hope others, you know, enjoy it as well. I've heard great things and I'm sure this one will be no different. But the real test is gonna be those girls of yours. If they if they if they come back and they say, Dad, that was pretty cool and even listen through the boring adult talk stuff, yeah. then I'll know we made the mark. We 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 made it. We're we we're established. I'll so let you know. Yeah. Troy, thanks for your time. it's just been a fantastic hour and thanks for all you do here for our students and um, yeah, enjoy being able to, to share this space with you. So yeah, thanks so much, Nate. This is a ton of fun. Yeah, excellent. Well, that was an hour from Tower Podcast this week. Uh, catch us next week. We'll have another guest and we'll learn some more new things about folks here at Saints Glasgow. Have a great day.